Well, hello, everybody. I truly missed you all. You know, I had to take a couple months away uh, from the geopolitical pivot, but here I am. And quite frankly, so much has been happening in the world. Um, we have a lot to catch up on, a lot to talk about. But um, rather than talk about what what has transpired basically over the past couple of months, since December was the last time we've actually had a podcast episode, um, I guess I wanted the return, uh, I guess, episode to go, to look more into the South China Sea. Um, but something that kind of really caught my interest, and that's kind of like this increasing usage of the China's maritime militia, their, their fishing fleet as kind of like a force multiplier um, to the, the plan, the People's Liberation Army, Navy, and the China uh, Coast Guard. And I know a couple of days ago, or actually a couple of weeks ago, we saw the footage at least on the news, the circulating around the news, um, the Chinese Coast Guard utilizing water cannons uh, against uh, Filipino naval personnel. Uh, however, there's also been pictures uh, circulating regarding like these massive swarms of Chinese fishing vessels um, into the South China Sea. And so I was doing a little digging, being a little nosy. This is what I do. And I found a military review publication um, called China's Maritime Militia and Fishing Fleets, a primer for operational staffs and tactical leaders by Xuxian Luo and Jonathan G. Panther. Uh, about 15 pages. And it's really, 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 really good. Um, and so I kind of wanted to just talk a little bit briefly about what they kind of had to say um, from this pretty good article. And it's highly, I highly do recommend it um, for anybody that's kind of interested in better understanding how maritime asymmetric tactics are the gray area uh, between war and, and the uses of military with politics and economics for um, grand strategy or geopolitical uh, gains uh, that's kind of unfolding um, by the second really in in Asia uh, but um, from this article really he talks about this idea that the most among the most important Chinese uh, gray zone forces I mean, their maritime militia uh, reason being is because it, it helps Beijing essentially rewrite the, the ideas of the, the rules of freedom of navigation, which we've kind of seen um, come out of World War II uh, with the, the Bretton Woods Conference that occurred in 1944. Um, but this also allows China to really challenge maritime claims within the South China Sea. So China has this notion of the nine dash line, which is basically, a, which is basically the entirety of the South China Sea. <laughs> Um, and completely disregards all the other maritime disputes um, and claims by neighboring South China Sea nations such as Indonesia, such as the Philippines, um, Vietnam, uh, Malaysia, Brunei, I believe, um, within that, that, that area of the world. 
also understand that the South China Sea is very, um, geoeconomically speaking, very profitable due to its location close to the, the Strait of Malacca, um, as well as it being the gateway essentially into the Indo-Pacific uh, maritime economy. Um, but this also allows for China to secure monopolized vital maritime resources, such as the um, the often heard of um, or talked about, I should say, untapped uh, natural gas and oil deposits in the South China Sea, as well as the, the plethora of fishing sources, um, as well as other types of uh, minerals that may be found within uh, the South China Sea region. But it's also a way for China to expand their geoeconomic and geopolitical footprint around the world. Um, you'll see these things. You'll see uh, news, I guess, so to speak, of Chinese fishing boats in West Africa as well as in, in South America and, what's that, and what that's doing to the local economies, um, especially local fishery uh, economies. And a lot of these nations, they look the other way due to Chinese um, investments um, as well as Chinese economic uh I guess initiatives such as the the One Belt One Road initiative, the Maritime um, Silk Road, and uh, the uh, their expanding presence within the the mining and, and and maritime industries or maritime infrastructure industries within Central and South America. Um, however, all of this shows this necessity uh, for a better understanding for the non-traditional usages. Of maritime forces that China is putting forth with uh, their their merchant militias. Uh, more specifically, I mean, it's not really non-traditional. Uh, it's basically, I mean, we go back to the days of the pirates and privateers and stuff like that. So the Victorian England era. Um, this stuff kind of happened in the Caribbean, um, especially uh, the higher the British would hire pirates to basically uh, ransack or attack um, um, or even to destabilize like Spanish uh, Spanish trade routes uh, to and from um, the Caribbean um, towards the Mediterranean and up towards the, the English Channel and down towards South America. I mean, this is, this is nothing new. Um, however, what is new is the, the mass implementation of such a, a policy. Um, has its pros, but also has its cons. Um, but it's, it's important to note that unsuccessful awareness of this type of maritime asymmetric warfare will further allow Beijing to mold the geostrategic space um, towards its advantage, as well as to undermine our, our as an American or the West, um, force preparations and regional successes with strategic allies and partners such as Japan, uh, South Korea, um, Taiwan, um, you can go down to Oceania, Australia, or you're going to talk about South China Sea, then uh, the Philippines, for example. Um, China, really, since Xi Jinping has become much more um, aggressive um, with these maritime disputes due to their increased reliance on these trade routes, um, due to uh, uh, over-reliance on energy resources from uh, the Middle East. Um, as well as raw minerals, uh, more specifically from, from Africa, to so Sub-Saharan Africa. Um, this applies extensive economic or uh, socio-political 
stresses upon Beijing to expand and exert their influences and presence in the South China Sea to also uh, check uh, America's presence at the Strait of Malacca. You start to see things called the Croc Canal in Thailand to completely circumvent the, um, uh, the Strait of Malacca as well as a uh, developing near complete Chinese naval a base in Cambodia um, large enough to support a carrier uh, carrier fleet um, however nonetheless you will see a lot of this priority of Beijing within the first island chain uh, more specifically the South China Sea um, but prior to Xi Jinping you started to see a lot of this at least the wording for Xi Jinping's future actions coming ar around the year 2000 China declared this idea of joint military civilian land and sea border management strategy or doctrine. And then that further led to the ideas of dual usage in uh, 2012 when it came to the development of military technologies that has both civilian and military applications. Um, you started to see this then pivot of the, the plan, the People Liberation Army Navy. Um, start to take much more of a backseat uh, when it comes to maritime disputes. And then that's when you start to see the rise of these uh, maritime militias, these uh, called DFWs, distant water fishing. Um, you, essentially, China wants to become the great maritime power. Um, and that's kind of part of the structure. So with... The maritime militia, uh, the plan essentially takes the back, uh, takes the back, uh, back background role, so to speak, uh, while simultaneously push forward this idea of maritime militias to take the front lines against uh, regional disagreements and to uphold China's maritime claim disputes. So the nine dash line, more specifically, um, for three different reasons. I want to regulate and restrict the activities uh, of foreign vessels and aircrafts within the EEZ, which is the economic exclusive zone, which is not your territorial waters. Um, therefore, you can't really prohibit a, a foreign vessel or aircraft flying or traversing through an EEZ. It's not your actual sovereign um territory so to speak it essentially the easy is that any resources that are found within that declared and recognized space is essentially yours um, but the actual waters is not part of your territory um, two china actively seeks to under undermine u.s regional strategic allies um or the alliances i should say between and that'll include japan that includes south korea the philippines um, increasingly Vietnam um, and then three China seeks to aggressively expand their A2AD which is their anti-area access denial um, apparatus to include the first and second island chains in the Pacific um, Ocean which conveniently includes Guam um, the, the, the idea behind the usage of the these maritime merchant militias and these fishing fleets is to essentially operate within the gray area um, and, and expand this gray area to the maritime domain. 
really is China looks to really enforce their nine dash line claim without needing to deploy naval vessels uh, warships I should say of the plan or the Coast Guard initially um, typically they'll they'll be deployed afterwards the, the operations of the the fishing fleets but ideally to uphold plausible deniability um, then warships will not be initially uh, sent for multiple uh, reasons uh, but more specific more specifically it's important to understand what the PRCs the people's Republic of China's their definition of what a militia is um, and that's a, it's effectively an armed mass organization that's composed of civilians retaining their regular jobs um, as a component of the armed forces um, operating as auxiliary and reserve forces for the PLA essentially um, force multipliers they perform security and logistic functions um, when war is declared. Um, however, they are separate from the the plan, but they're also separate from the Chinese Coast Guard. Uh, they are civilians at the end of the day um, that have idea that they have a background in the maritime economy, so fishing, logistics, stuff like that. Um, but they were trained by the the Chinese Navy and the Coast and the Coast Guard to provide five uh, to provide basically five different tasks or, or services, so to speak. Uh, the border patrol, so the border maritime, I should say, patrol, surveillance and reconnaissance, maritime transportation, search, search and rescue, uh, but also auxiliary support of naval operations in wartime. Um, because of this, they fall under. The management of the National Defense Mobilization Commission of the People's Republic of China. Um, and that in itself is overseen by the PLA Central Military Commission, as well as the Chinese State Council, um, i.e. Xi Jinping. Um, effectively, since, I want to say 2012, maybe a little bit before then, um, these militias essentially operate as the third arm of the of China's defense strategy that includes the PLA and law enforcement to enforce overall comprehensive declared maritime sovereignty. So that doesn't just include the actual territorial waters, but that then now includes the officially recognized EEZ of China, but then also the Chinese recognized um, EEZ, uh, the nine dash line. Um, they can these maritime militias can be basically deployed to strengthen the Chinese claims on these maritime territories um, to while actively avoiding the more traditional uh, global consequence of deploying uniform personnel towards military involvement. And a lot of these fishing vessels, uh, they conduct illegal, unreported and oftentimes unregulated fishing operations, as we've seen in Africa, as well as in Latin America. Um, not necessarily in Africa that we've seen kind of consequences, but at least in Latin America, we have seen an increase in tensions um, between China and more of the the coastal um, Latin American nations. Um, the other down, well, one of the downsides to these these militia um, fleets, I should say, these maritime militias, is that. For China, they're the least funded, they're the least organized and the least professional, which does in turn increase the 
uh, the probability and risks of uh, accident or quote unquote accidents, I should say, um, which could increase regional tensions and instability. Um, another complication to these uh, mar maritime militias is that there's significant overlap in authority uh, between the Chinese Coast Guard, but also the theater of command of the People's Liberation Army um, based off of four main questions. Something to keep in mind. The first one is who commands the militia forces and under what circumstances are they going to be commanded? What authorization do these maritime forces operate under? Who reviews and approves maritime militia participation and maritime or naval operations? And who's directly responsible for the expenditures for the uh, these maritime militias? The main the main complication with this is um, the budgetary complications. That's the main problem is that directly then impacts the three previous questions of who reviews and re who reviews and approve the militia participation, who authorizes the participation and who commands the participation. Um, this all goes into trainings, uh, administering the responsibilities, the deployments, the operations, the logistics, everything. Well, it comes down to budget. Um, because of this, quite frankly, it's completely difficult to determine who, who is exactly in control over these operations, more specifically in the South China Sea. But um, because of this, oh, before I, I talk about that, it's really important to also uh, briefly discuss how China may, may see to proclaim that they have no um, authority over these types of, of uh, fishing vessels or maritime militias. But in reality, they do um, simply because they're required to install equipment for communications with directly with the the Chinese military to assist with reconnaissance functionalities um, that includes satellite communications and beyond line of sight communications and um, if these fishing vessels didn't have any of this type of um, advanced sensors or communications and they're only really restricted to line of sight identification which for for the most part that is the case um but again that also comes goes back to financing um the budgeting as well as the trainings for a lot of these advanced equipments um a lot of the time uh with these with these vessels there are major identification challenges on a on the part of the united states when trying to determine um, the, the status or the the locations of these these fishing um, I guess you will call them fishing vessels uh, simply because the, 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 when you're thinking about radars in itself there's minimal return to warships when it comes to um, automatic identifications automatic identification systems these fishing vessels don't use them um, they typically utilize commercial radar systems, which is a problem because of the commercial traffic within the South China Sea. Um, because of that, that like, like we stated earlier, that there's an increase in the probability of quote-unquote accidents occurring uh, between fishing vessels and uniformed um, military warships. Uh, in addition to that, 
they're only really utilizing extremely congested maritime regions south china sea uh, west africa south america um, there's a trend here um, ideally they're only would be operated as uh, reconnaissance units um, but in some cases these these fishing vessels could be utilized for mine laying um, in these congested regions to further complicate things as such as the safety of commercial um, sea lanes um, uh, in, in, in these very lucrative and economically vital choke points um, something that the United States does not want to see um, furthermore when we talk about the strategic operational and tactical advantages to these types of fishing boat fleets it can easily outnumber warships because we're talking about fleet vessels here oh not fleet vessels i'm sorry fishing vessels um and because of that they pose a major asymmetric warfare threat um, if they're deployed in high numbers like uh, swarm tactics they can become very very difficult uh, when it, to essentially mitigate um, and resolve um think of it, it's kind of like the irgc the islamic revolutionary guard corps their navy uh, components and how they utilize swarm tactics with fast fast crafts basically speed boats um, and the straight of horror moves um, to seize tankers um, not saying that these fishing vessels are utilizing speed boats which they aren't um, but the whole premise behind a, a massive fishing vessel uh, fleet would be basically to cause disruption uh, not necessarily to produce a kinetic force uh, but to disturb and to disrupt operations to make things much more difficult and challenging uh, you can see you can see that possibly and um, getting in the way if you're trying to conduct an anti-submarine operation or some type of uh, uh, antagonizing so to speak a carrier fleet not saying that you know carrier fleet couldn't completely eviscerate fishing vessels which most likely they can because they're fast moving they're easy targets and they're not armored um, however if you have a swarm of let's say 300 of these that could probably complicate um your initiatives uh, if you're in type of a situation like this um, but this is most more specifically this is beneficial to china's growing a2ad framework um all in all i just wanted to give you a little glimpse i guess of the the implications of these these distant uh, traveling uh, fishing vessels um, and how even though they're just fishing fe uh, vessels they are operating um, as a, a geopolitical tool in china's grand strategy to disrupt south china sea and to also strengthen its maritime claims uh, in the region uh, more specifically uh, to mold the geostrategic space for beijing's advantage that's the nine dash line um, with that being said um i'm going to do my best with trying to do more um episodes uh, on a weekly basis um, depending on what's going on i could probably have one every single day uh, for this week moving forward so i know it's been a while it's been a couple of months but i didn't want to take too much time um, i wanted to have this done and 
and good to go for y'all to let you know that I am back. Um, there will be more information as uh, geopolitical trends unfold. And I'm glad to have you listen. We're on a fast track to 9,000 downloads from around the world from 91 countries. So thank you all for everyone that continued to tune in. Even when we had um, no, no new content. Um, but now that we will have new content, I can rest assured um, we are going to continue on a fast track to 10,000. Thank you. Much love. And have a good evening. Or morning. Wherever you are on this floating rock in the void. Peace.